Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Today on the Ether, Angel Protocol hosts a space for their Black History Month fundraiser. Let's take a listen. Thanks, everyone, for joining. We'll just start in a couple minutes. I think we're just waiting um, for Cornell to get the mic set up, uh, and I'll message Kafre, uh, and then we'll begin. But very excited, and thank you all for your time today. Really, really appreciate you being a part of this. Thank you for having us. Appreciate y'all. For everyone who just joined, I think we'll be starting in one minute. I'm just getting everything set up here, but thank you for being with us today. Awesome. Hey, Cornell, how are you? I'm good. I guess I finally figured this out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It takes a little bit. It's it's tough the first time. Yeah. <laughs> but appreciate I'm, it. I'm on my computer from the from my block um, profile. Is there a way to join or request speaker? From that perspective, or is my phone the easiest way to do this? Yeah, sadly, I think you can only connect with your phone okay. on Twitter Spaces. No problem. That works for you. All right, yeah, no problem. I'll just throw in some headphones. Okay, thanks so much. Cool, and I think we'll get started in like one or two minutes. But thank you, everyone, for being here. All right, awesome. Um, I think we can get started. Um, I think hopefully Kafre can can join in a little bit. Um, but really excited for today's discussion. Um, I have a little bit of a, a preamble, um, and everyone for the, the speakers here today, this will be recorded um, and then distributed afterwards, um, as always. Um, but just a little bit of an overview. Um, we're really excited to launch our campaign for Black History Month um, with four organizations that provide tremendous value, to the communities they serve and the systems they interact with. Um, today, we're, we're super fortunate to be joined by these passionate leaders um, addressing deeply entrenched problems of racial justice and equity. On the line today, we have Dr. Trinity Davis, who's president and founder of Teachers Like Me, Larisha Font, founder of Black Women Network, and Cornell Ellis, Executive Director of Brothers Liberating Our Communities, also known as Block. Um, hopefully we'll be joined um, by Kafre J, the Founder and Executive Director of Hip Hop for Change, who's also a, a nonprofit part of this fundraising campaign. Welcome everyone, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, so again, now to the preamble part. Um, so in our kickoff call, uh, we aligned a little bit on how we wanted to position the, the campaign. Oh, thanks. Awesome. <laughs> um, how we wanted to position this campaign and a few first principles rose to the surface. Um, so we, before we dig into the conversation, I just wanted to quickly highlight those principles as well as some data points for context. Um, so the first was to discuss historical context 
with authenticity and a willingness to unlearn. The second was to provide a platform for black nonprofit leaders to be the center perspective. Um, and the last was to address persistent barriers leaders of color face in securing philanthropic funding. And just a little bit of data behind that point, racial bias continues to be deeply ingrained in philanthropic giving. A report conducted by Black Nonprofit Fundraising Guide depicted that this has resulted in an underfunding of Black communities by $2 billion. Black-led organizations have 45% less revenue and 91% less unrestricted net assets than white-led organizations. But despite this, a nonprofit finance fund's 2022 survey showed that Black-led nonprofits statistically put more resources into advancing racial justice than their counterparts addressing the same challenges. Not only that, Black-led nonprofits have greater efficacy dollar per dollar in their programming. Another highlight that came from the kickoff call was that the fight does not end on March 1st and that Black history is now. Again, we're really excited to have you here today to learn more and to celebrate your past to being the change makers and advocates that you are today. Um, so really, I think uh, some of the core themes that we want to talk on is really your individual journeys, what led you to found your organization and do the work that you do. Um, also talk about the inspirations and personal professional mentorship that you received along the way. Talk a little bit about your values and motivations and how you apply that to the work that you do. And then end with some success stories of the actual work that you all do on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's the stage for today. Um, would like to spend maybe about five minutes each round robin. Um, and maybe Dr. Trinity Davis, we could start with you. Um, love an intro about yourself an intro to the organization, and then a little bit about what led you to found and take on leadership roles in the work that you do. So I'll pass it to you. Okay, thank you so much. Um, so again, as he said, my name is Dr. Trinity Davis. Um, and what I did was I started out in education and I chose education as a path because I did not see people like me in education. I didn't see black teachers, I didn't see black principals. And so with that, it really, made me decide um, education was what I wanted to go into when I went to college. Um, surprisingly, even through my journey as a teacher, I was always the only one. Um, there were very few Black teachers in my field. I also became a professor so I could actually bring in more Black teachers through the College of Ed. Um, that had its barriers. I became assist assistant superintendent, um, a curriculum designer for a school district that's predominantly Black. And I saw all the barriers there that um, the institution and the way it's set up was not uh, able to get over a lot of those barriers. So that's what led me to starting Teachers Like Me, which is a nonprofit that's dedicated to recruiting, developing, retaining quality black teachers in public education with only 7% of the teachers being black nationwide. Um, and the numbers in a predominantly black district here in Kansas City, it looks like 19.5% of the teachers are black when 60% of the students are black. I feel like that leaves us no choice. The research tells us that a child having a black teacher for any child, white or black, it, there's advantages there and there's benefits. So why not start this organization? And so this is our third year um, and we are now um, approaching the number of 40 teachers in the program. So very excited about that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I'll pass it now to Larisha, if you don't mind. Sure. 
Well, hello, I'm Larisha Font. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm an artist, an entrepreneur, and the executive director of Black Women Network. Black Women Network is a declarative statement. It is the action of what we do to continue making impact. We network. I um, have been asked in the past, uh, why Black women? Well, first, I'm a Black woman, and I have my MBA and a degree in education and can put together a mean business proposal and pitch deck. However, I found that so many people would slam the door in my face before they heard a word from me. It could be overhearing my name or one person in the past told me to, hey, why don't you just go ask Black people instead? I'm a fighter and, you know, I still keep going in those situations, but I shouldn't have to fight to be heard. And I don't want others to need to fight either. That guy that I mentioned, he still offered me investment in the end because I made it clear that by being inflexible, he was missing out on a fantastic investment opportunity and growth in nearby markets. Black women are the fastest growing group of small business owners in the U.S., but we have less than 1% of venture capital funding. So when we're without, so is every community because we live everywhere. Therefore, helping black women entrepreneurs helps us all. After spreading info like that in meetings, I realized that a lot of times these facts are only reported to the same people it was affecting. So I decided to fight inequity by speaking to different audiences and by being the change, by investing in established businesses of black women. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and Cornell, we'll, we'll pass it to you, but I see that you might be connecting. Can you, can you hear us? Cornell might have dropped off. I think he'll be, he'll be back on. Um, but I think we, we can keep going and then we'll, we'll pass it back to Cornell. Um, when he rejoins, but but thank you. I, I think those were both really um, well stated problem statements in terms of the work that you do and why you're there and the perseverance that you both have shown in really taking it to the next step and and living that change. Um, would love to to change gears um, and really talk more about that journey and and really wondering who has inspired you personally and professionally along this path. Um, that you both have been on. And, and Trinity, maybe I'll, I'll pass it back to you to, to answer this one to start. Okay. Um, so I'm from a small town in Kansas. So that says a lot. Um, and so I didn't have many people to look up to, but I had one teacher um, that I remember making sure and explaining to us how important education was for us as Black students. Um, and what we needed to do if we wanted to move into, you know, a certain type of lifestyle, a certain type of uh, passion and what we really, you know, cared about. And so that's when I learned that education was one area where I felt like um, I could impact everyone, because one thing we know is everyone has to go to school, <laughs> you know. And so um, she was a so her name was Mary Collins. Um, she just passed not long ago, but she was a huge um person in making sure that I understood what education was going to, to be like as far as the difficulties, um, but also being there along the way to make sure I stayed in the field. And then I think um, one other person, as I was doing my PhD, I 
got with someone, his name is Mawali Shuja, who was a dean at the university. And it really showed me, I was the only black female professor on campus. There was one other black man when I was a professor. And when I say I heard um, the most racist comments on a regular <laughs> from people with PhDs and all these degrees, you know, it was, um, that was really shocking and appalling and it really pushed me harder. And I think that having um, Shuja, who was working at the university level, giving me that understanding that this is what happens and this is what you're here for. Um, and so I've always felt like I had that purpose um, from Mary Collins and from Shuja to help continue to move toward change in education, not just to be uh, the teacher there, because I saw where I made a difference as a teacher, but how could I make a bigger impact? And so that's where it took me on this journey of how can I take teachers who are in the same situation I was in and make and re keep them in the field, but also remove some of those barriers that you don't know are there that Mary Collins could tell me about, that Shuja could tell me about, you know, in the next level. So that's um, the force that I want to be for teachers and that I want teachers like me to be able to do for um, teachers in the future. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I think you spoke so eloquently to the importance of, you know, having a safe space and having an ally in the face of active discrimination in your field in terms of trying to advance it, but still it is ever persistent. Um, and having that, that voice and having that sounding board is so instrumental. And, and thank you for that work in advancing that and, and being that in the space that you operate in. Um, Larisha, I'm going to pause really quickly. I, I see that Cornell is back on. Cornell, can you hear us now? Yeah, I'm having a really hard time with service in my school building today. Thank you for for bearing with me. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, and hope you can you can stay on for this answer. Um, but wanted to swing it back to you. I'm not sure if you heard the question, but I think um, would love if you could give just a little bit of an intro about yourself, um, intro about your organization and how you got to take on that leadership role in that work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think my, my intro about myself always starts with my educational experience as a student. Um, I wasn't the, the greatest student. I was one of those individuals that uh, really relied on sports and extracurriculars to really drive my experience through school um, and didn't really have an academic self, uh, didn't really see myself or my identity rooted in academics. Um, and that was something that really kind of stuck with me and me and my identity for a long time um, as a student. Um, once I realized that I wasn't going to become a professional athlete, like what happens to a lot of people, uh, I realized that it must be some other kind of avenue for me to continue working with students or to continue working like with sports in some way. Um, and so coaching became a quick, uh, quick available pathway for me. But while I was kind of preparing to exit college and while I was kind of getting ready for um, to figure out what my next steps were going to be, I really fell in love with history um, and becoming kind of a, a amateur historian is really what drove me to think about myself as, as an academic and think about myself and my identity as one that um, enjoys school, enjoys books, enjoys learning. Um, and after I experienced that, you know, it took me full well to halfway into my adulthood to realize that, you know, I liked school, you know, and that's not a unique experience for a lot of our black boys. Um, so once I 
realized that I decided that you know, teaching could be something that I could really fall in love with also to get other young young men to see the same thing that I saw in education. Uh, and when then when I got into teaching, I realized that there weren't very many educators that looked like me or that shared that same passion or experience uh, as my students or as uh, other effective teachers that I saw around. So it was a pretty simple equation to just figure out how can we increase the diversity, especially the number of the least represented black male educators in schools, um, knowing that they have uh, a great impact on student achievement and on, on school culture. So um, once I kind of realized and saw those things, it was really, um, I wouldn't say fate, but it was just kind of written for me to step out and then be able to really lead in that space as best as I could. Um, it's been quite a journey. We've grown very quickly over the last five years, just from kind of starting doing professional development, specify for black male educators, going all the way up to creating a fellowship um, to help increase their pedagogical skill and pay for them to attain their next degree. Uh, we are looking to be outside the box in ways to retain and sustain black male educators and always increase uh, by thinking about the, the next generation of, of young black boys and how their experience in education lends directly to whether or not they want to return and their communities to be educators or to be influences for the next generation. So um, it, this is kind of something we refer to as legacy work. You know, it's something that we see is going to improve our communities, as you hear through the, through the name of the organization, long after we're here. Um, and we hope to really create systemic change that is uh, long lasting. Amazing. Glad we were able to get you back on the line. That was, that was a wonderful answer. Thank you for that. Um, speaking of like the evolution of your identity and, and now how it's full circle to increasing and sustaining and maintaining the number of black male teachers and the legacy work piece that you touched on. Um, thank you so much for that. Um, going to pass it back to Larisha and, and Cornell. The next question here is just we're learning more about who inspired you personally and professionally along this path? Um, so Larisha, I'll, I'll pass it back to you to, to take on that question. Sure. I was inspired by my grandma, um, a black woman. I called her mother. She could sew outfits for her family, teach classes, work as a nurse and still have dinner cooked on time somehow. <laughs> Um, I actually knew how to read, write, and multiply by three years old from being in what I used to affectionately call mother school. Um, and she just had such a way of um, looking at life as an opportunity to always learn, always uh, do. She was one of the reasons why her neighborhood in particular is not torn down in the Charlotte area because she fought to uh, market as historic. And so it is now a, a historic place. And so all of those houses are still standing. Um, I was also inspired by Bea Richards, uh, the actress and poet. The joy and delight that she had in like the worst of times was always inspiring. Uh, she made servant roles seem like lead roles, and her poetry was just always so beautiful, even in the midst of the hard subject matters that she would speak about. Uh, lastly, I was very inspired, still am, by James Baldwin and the boldness 
that he um, would use in speaking truth about any topic, no matter who the audience was. He, he just always came full force and, you know, with facts and he was just solid and kind at all times. So those are some of my inspirations. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful list. Um, Corna, I'll, I'll pass, the, pass it to you for the, the same question. Sure. Thank you um, for uh, all of those inspirational stories. They, it's hard going last in this, right? Because then the list just gets longer and longer and longer. Um, <clears throat> I think what I'll, what I'll do is probably try to separate it between professional and personal. Um, those are the two biggest buckets that I can think about. Uh, I think personally, of course, my my immediate family, right? My mother, my father, and my sister. Um, my mother has been an educator for over 30 years in the Kansas City Public Schools. And I often will cite her as kind of my earliest experiences from seeing life as an educator's kid or seeing school from the other side of the lens. Um, you know, not it's different to be a kid at home with a parent that's got to make calls to other parents or coming home and talking about their experiences at school or possibly coming home from not that safe work environment. Um, and so it's um, some of my earliest experiences with education come from hearing uh, us walking around at the grocery store. Hey, Miss Ellis. Hey, Miss Ellis. Uh, you know, I had, I had your mother 20 years ago. She was the best teacher I ever had. You know, some of those community connections um, was a long lasting stamp, you know, on the way I feel about education. You know, back then it was kind of something that would happen in passing, but now it's something that I see as a huge influence on what I do now. Uh, my dad was kind of the one that really pushed me to be that academic self that I was kind of referencing earlier as a kid that didn't really like school. It was his job, I think, as a father to really push his young black son think about the world in a way that wouldn't lead him down a path of destruction. Um, one that's really easily walked down in this country. And so um, my father really inspired me and pushed me early. And then uh, he passed away uh, when I was 17. And so that loss and that grief is really what kind of propelled me into um, a different state of mind, I would say. Um, as I kind of went through that in my college years. Uh, and then finally, my sister, um, she's, she's also in education. So we're the, all three kind of educators. Um, she's been teaching art history and yoga, and she's just an incredible person. Um, got her PhD and start, started a bachelor's and got her PhD in less than 10 years. So like literally like didn't stop going to college when <laughs> she left high school. Um, and she's just always been the big sister that I look up to. Um, and so now we live in the same city. We have children that are the same age and we kind of work together on consulting and diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And she's always uh, a shining star in my life. Um, professionally, I would have to say like Sharif el with the Center for Black Educator Development, um, Chris Emden out of USC, Travis Bristol uh, from UC Berkeley. These are some Black males from around the country that are really doing phenomenal work, research, um, and inspiring thought leader work uh, on what the next generation of schools and teachers look like. And they have been direct impacts on Block's development and on my personal development. Um, as a leader in this space. Thank you. 
Thank you for, for sharing. I think, yeah, thank you all for, for bringing examples, both like so close to home and, and also outside as well. Um, really just appreciate like the, the personal touch that you've taken to these questions. Um, and you, you all kind of spoke to this a little bit in terms of how that relates to who you've become and the values that you carry with yourself every day. Um, but would love to kind of like explicitly name that if possible, like what are your values and motivations and how do you apply that to the work that you do every day? And then I guess in addition to that, like what does it look like to consistently show up with those values at your organization? Um, so Dr. Trinity, I'm going to pass it back to you if you don't mind to tackle this one first. Um, one thing I can probably say it's a good word for my value is probably perseverance. Um, perseverance and uh, being empathetic to situations that are not like my own. I think I've really um, taken that off on that in my career. Um, a good example of that is I've taught in different areas. So I taught in a very white affluent district. And I noticed at that time how anything that needed to be done, everyone jumped to do it. And then after going into a district that was predominantly black, um, black students, uh, I noticed that everyone wasn't jumping to do the same thing. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was be an example of doing what I saw in the white affluent district with my black children and seeing that we actually got the same results that they did, you know. And so it became a question of, how did they get there to the point where I was even questioned if I cheated on their assessments? Um, that right there told me that um, there was little be belief and faith in not only the students that look like me, but in me as the teacher to move them the way that we were moving white affluent kids in Kansas City. And so with that, I think perseverance was one thing I decided I would never stop <laughs> and I would do whatever it, it takes to to maybe eat. Play, make sure that uh, playing field was equal for all students, um, but also making sure that we were looking at equitable ways of doing and putting education in uh, full force in schools. And so that's just been one of my, I think, biggest pieces. And every time I see there's a problem um, or an issue that I feel is something that could be done, I'm going to figure out how we create that plan, how we get it done. And that's um, what Teachers Like Me is right now, is that plan, that perseverance. We're going to keep going and remove barriers for teachers so that, again, we can show up and show out that our students can do just as well, if not better, and mostly better than any other students that we work with in the Kansas City area. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. Perseverance, empathy, Tenacity, I think I'll, I'll add also that that's awesome. Um, Larisha, before I pass it to you, I just wanted to highlight, and I think that I will double down on this a couple of times. This is an active fundraiser um, and our portal is actually live now. So for everyone listening, if you wanted to go to blackhistorymonth.angelprotocol.io or our homepage at app.angelprotocol.io, you'll see links out to the campaign portal page um, where it is all directed to these four nonprofits that we have. Um, so that is there and it's also on the pinned tweet as well. Um, just wanted to, to interject that, um, but not, not mess up the flow. Larisha, I will, I will pass it to you for, for your answer. Sure, thank you. Um, as far as values and motivations, 
I value people. I value them for who they are and even love them for who they aren't. I want equality for us all, like not only black people, but in every instance of inequity, because every shortcoming adds up and holds us all back from progression. So my motivation is to see everyone have clear paths to the same opportunities. It doesn't really matter so much if they say yes or no to it, but that they have the opportunity to do so. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Clear paths to the same opportunities. Um, Cornell, I'll, I'll pass it to you to, to round, round it off for this question. Yeah, thank you. Um, Harisha, I love that. I think one of the first things you said too around like a people, people-centered, um, in, in regards to the last question too, I was like one of my spiritual influences, right? Uh, I'm a big Jesus Christ follower and believer, um, just in the way that he like operated, not necessarily in the realms of like Christianity and how it's manifested itself on the planet and all, at all times. But when you really look at how Jesus really walked and moved right here for the downtrodden, those that are first would be last, um, hanging out with those that, you know, the, the the tax collectors and those that, you know, have bad reputations and just loving everybody for who, like, like Theresa said, who they are and loving them for who they are. Um, that's, that's really like my, like my modus operandi, like how I walk around in space. And I think that that, that leans into, you know, blocks, blocks, um, policies, blocks, mindset, blocks, philosophies, um, the word Ubuntu comes to mind, right? The way that we all work together and the way that we all move together to go far um, so that so that none of us are left behind. You know, I think uh, I teach a Black History course and um, it's about slave rebellions. And 90, 95% of these slave rebellions are betrayed by some other Black person or some other slave because of this lack of like collective mindset and this lack of love for each other, this lack of love for community, this lack of love for all of us. Um, so really that's, that's my North star um, and how I try to operate and my organization follows behind. Beautiful. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think just to, take a step back. I think all three of you, it's like so evident that you approach this from such a space of like compassion and empathy and like also ferocity at the same time. Um, and like that balance is such a hard thing to strike and really is, is, is really impressive. Um, and super, super admirable. And thank you again for the work that you all do. Um, it's been a, a pleasure learning more about you all individually um, we're coming to the kind of the tail end here. Um, and the last question is really just, can you provide either a success story from your organization, um, as well as a vision for the future of, of where you want to be, um, with the work that you're doing? Um, and Dr. Trindy, I'll, I'll pass it back to you to, to round this one off. Oh, a success story. There's been so many, um, but I'll give you a good example that, uh, that shows the need for black teachers that just happened the other day. Um, we had a, there was a student in one of the schools who she didn't want to go to class because she hadn't been able to, you know, simply get her hair done. And these are things that we think are, um, 
simple or it shouldn't be a big deal. But um, for two of the teachers like me, teachers, they felt like this was important to make sure she showed up and she had confidence. And they looked at it as so much. It was so much more than her hair. And so um, on their plan times, they got together and they were able to get her hair together because she had to take pictures for ROTC and it had to be a certain way. And so they realized that and they get together and they get her all set up and she was so happy. She was in tears that she actually, you know, how good she looked. And so I just think that, um, like I said, that's a, a something that just happened the other day. But just that those types of things are what I hear every day from my teachers being in the building for, you know, having black teachers, quality black teachers who really care about kids. Because my motto is if you care, I can take you there to be a good teacher but you have to care first. And so I just think um, that's a, a success story to know they're there for students that in some cases there would have no one. Um, and so the vision for teachers like me is to continue to remove barriers. We're uh, Teachers like me is creating a little teacher village where we have housing, where they live together, um, they fellowship together. So they're more like a family. So yeah, we want them to be great teachers, but we want them to have that support um, we want them to have that um, and start understanding generational wealth and how they can get that and how teachers like me can support in that movement to home ownership. Um, we're part of a community land trust, meaning we have land so that we don't have developers or gentrification happening in the area where we're building for teachers like me right now. So I think all of that is like the big vision is to see this teacher village and to see an increased number of black teachers that meet the demographics of the students that they serve. Um, and I think I got one more success story. I know we're coming to the tail end, but the other piece is they see our teachers. Um, a lot of teachers in the, in the city do not live in the city. And one thing about it is these teachers all live in the city and they see their kids at work. They see them at the grocery stores. And that's been a huge uh, piece to, to bring school and community together and so i just think those are some of the success stories and that's what we want to see more of and this will all um, directly impact our students and the community of kansas city thank you amazing thank you um and that's great i, I wasn't aware of the the community land trust and the work that you all were doing um that's that's wonderful and the community support so great um great i will lurish i will i'll pass it to you Right. A hard, very hard act to follow. Uh, but the work that you are doing, Dr. Trinity, is amazing. So thank you so much uh, for sharing that. For BWN, um, we have quite a few stories as well, but one uh, that encompasses how BWN works and why we invest is uh, being able to provide the daycare rugs. When we provided those rugs to the daycare, it not only affected the entrepreneur, it affected the community and also the future generation because they'll get to sit there for years and have that daily planning with their teacher. And that's why we believe in those investments, because, again, they affect us all. Um, and other ways that we are helping are different people within the community, different Black women entrepreneurs, uh, whether it is investing in their projects or helping them to get to uh, different events that they can, you know, put their products out there and continue being successful. 
is um, we cheer people on. We talk about what we're doing. We offer business consults. Uh, we offer teaching of how to grow and we help to close the gaps by investing in people. And uh, another project that we have coming up is we've been able to invest in getting some aprons for a uh, shop class. So these children have already been learning everything about shop. And um, there's an entrepreneur named Donna, and she is teaching them everything that they will need to know in order to move forward in business for themselves later. And so we were able to help provide uh, some custom aprons for her. So that's something else special that we've been able to do lately. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's great. And I think you touched on so nicely, like it's so much more than investing in people or infrastructure. It's like the whole ethos and like what comes from that, right? The emotional connection, the support, the community feel, um, the confidence, all of these things that come with this type of investment and this type of work. Um, so thank you for that. Um, Cornell, I'll, I'll pass it to you to to finish this question off. Well, before I start, um, I think the biggest win is being in this space with two powerful, intelligent, and successful Black women. So uh, let's give them a round of applause, Twitter applause. Um, we talk about disparities in philanthropy and disparities um, across education. Black women have been bearing the brunt of this country's disparity since the very beginning. Um, and I just want to give a public and very standalone shout out to the work that two two ladies are doing. Um, close with one and getting closer with the other. So Larisha, I can't wait to work with you more. Trinity, girl, I just saw you an hour ago. Um, but I see success stories. I mean, we're really excited about the fellowship that we just launched this year. Um, it's called a Comentoso, which is the uh, West African symbol language for linked hearts. Uh, and this idea of, like I mentioned earlier, increasing the pedagogical skill of black male educators in a holistic way, um, having them meet with mentors, instructional coaches. Uh, we meet monthly to go through specific specialized professional development for them. Um, and where they are in their roles and how and what their goals are. Um, they get a $12,500 scholarship to go back to school and obtain their next degree within education. Um, and of course, they get discounts at local Black-owned shoe stores and restaurants. And the entire community wraps their arms around them as fellowship members uh, to thank them for being Black male educators and to thank them for the contribution that they, that they can give to the community. Um, so that's, you know, a kind of a culmination of our work that we've been doing over the last five years. It's not only a, a huge like thank you and literal dollar investment into black male educators and black male retention. Um, but it's also, like I said, these wraparound services that help black men see themselves in classrooms and in school buildings for a lifetime. And when we can create a society where that's the norm where our elders are inside of our school buildings and we take their wisdom and we take their knowledge and we mix it and match it with the young folks' enthusiasm, right? School buildings will be places where revolutions start. 
Um, so we're really excited to be able to be on the forefront of that change. Beautiful. Thank you. A, a great answer. Um, and, and the fellowship and the wraparound support and advancing their, like each teacher's personal goals and, and providing them with the higher learning opportunities and the holistic pedagogy, all, all really, really wonderful. And I think it's kind of a, a as we reach the end of the questions here, but again, like th this is, this is a fundraiser um, and it's launched on blackhistorymonth.angelprotocol.io. Um, you've heard it here. I mean, exceptional leaders doing really wonderful, meaningful work on the ground in their communities and making that change. Um, so again, thank you. We're, we're really truly honored to have you all on Angel's platform and to be part of this campaign um, and looking forward to hearing more from you throughout the month. But this has been really, really wonderful. Um, that's it for me on the questions, but would love to kind of give you the opportunity for for last words or, or closing thoughts, um, not to put you on the spot, but you all <laughs> um, just handled those questions so well. So I, I, if you if you have anything to say, um, that'd be great. But um, if not, I think that brings us kind of to the close of this. Um, we will have, again, uh, individual Twitter space with each of the nonprofits and the leaders that you heard today um, throughout the month. So be on the lookout for that. And we will continue to push and publish articles uh, and, and showcase this fundraising portal. Again, the dollars, um, as you can tell, are going to real meaningful projects um, that advance the lives of many. Um, so thank you for that. Um, maybe I will, Dr. Trinity, if there's any closing thoughts, I'll, I'll pass it to you first and we can just do one last round robin. But again, thank you all for your time. Um, really appreciate and, and value you being here. Um, I think I'll just speak on the, the funding behalf. Um, we've been um, very privileged to be able to um, receive funding to really get teachers like me off the ground. Um, but the funding um, right now at this point, like we talked about how it's difficult for uh, Black organizations and Black nonprofits, um, I just think to continue to know that the work that I feel we all do is better for uh, everyone. So I feel like the global impact that this will make um, from the Black Women's Network, the Block, uh, teachers like me, I think, you know, hip hop education, all of those things really serve um, everyone, no matter what race or background or culture. And so I just feel like, you know, when we talk about funding, it's not for black organizations it's to make everything i guess if you want to say the cliche it's to make the world a better place and i feel like that's what we're doing so thank you awesome love it um larisha I'll, I'll pass it to you dr trinity said it perfectly honestly um i speak all the time about how investing in black women literally is a way uh to affect us all so yes all of us in the different areas that we're touching on, um, again, we are affecting future generations, we're affecting communities, we're affecting the world. And that's also why it's so important that we're even connected to a Twitter space um, and Angel Protocol and kind of tapping into uh, Web3 because it's an understanding of uh, the fact that Web3 extends our reach. Like people all over the place are going to get to hear this message because of how we're reaching out. So uh, thank you in advance for all that, you know, hear this and 
uh, donate and thank you Angel Protocol for making a space for us to continue uh, to use our voice. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it, it's our pleasure and, and you all make it very easy for us. So appreciate that. Um, Cornell, uh, I'll pass it to you to, to end things today. Well, I think I'll double down, double click on what uh, my two colleagues have iterated here with um, a story from uh, from the Bible. I'm sure many of you are familiar with um, Jesus was walking around with his disciples and people were criticizing and thinking about like how much people were giving, right? How much they were giving an offering. Um, I don't remember the exact words, but to, to the effect that, you know, Jesus said that, you know, if, if you have a little, then and he gives all of it. And he's actually given more than a person that has a lot and gives a little. Um, and I think that when it comes to philanthropy, it takes all of us. Um, even if you have a dollar, even if you have five dollars, you know, we're not. You may be sitting here thinking like, oh, my my donation doesn't really doesn't really help or, you know, I'm just, I'm just a little Joe Schmo. I can't really impact their organizations. Um, and I'm here to tell you that that's not the case. The, the power is with the people. And when we can stop having to rely on bigger systems and rely on each other, right? Cause we go further that way. Um, then we can actually start to see some systemic changes. So I would encourage everybody out there listening that we were just referencing, even if it's only a little bit that you have, it can goes a, it goes a long way. It, it can support and it will support, like you heard, directly organizations that are doing great work. So thank you all for listening. Awesome. Yeah. Thank thank you so much. Um, yeah. Exactly that and. It's really been like, it's been so wonderful having you all on the line today. Um, we really appreciate you um, and the work that you all do. Um, again, you can find this at blackhistorymonth.angelprotocol.io. Um, you can donate in uh, any major cryptocurrency you'll be able to see to connect your wallet. Um, and it's a pretty smooth transfer from there. Um, you'll also receive a tax receipt in your email um, for that donation as well. Um, but again, thank you so much. Um, throughout, and throughout the course of the month, you'll be hearing from these speakers again. Um, but thank you so much really for, for like sharing your personal journey, for being here, um, for communicating the message that you all do and the impact that you have so well. Um, that's it for, for me and for this space today. But again, we'll, we'll be talking all soon and, and keeping you all up to date on the calendar of events throughout the month. But one last sign off and, and thank you um, to Dr. Trinity Davis, Larisha Font and Cornell. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cornell, uh, excuse me, for, for being here today. Really, really value your time and appreciate you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Great. Thanks, everyone. Take care uh, and talk soon. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Angel Protocol Black History Month Fundraiser Space AMA discussion recorded on Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, 
head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support, man. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep your hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Razor beam focus, star scream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man swagger. Sitting in a little den, vision in the middle men. Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Little Dan envisioning the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedal at the metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murky Got a little job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the Birds view. Gotta find cover, wipe off the bird poop, ride off the work while you try on the worst juice. Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth, slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you. Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants. I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis. Mock up a basement, could call me resilient. Waiting for the internet to make me a billion. In the middle men, listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Terror spaces